and I see two things typically. One is there is a communications plan and it's usually pretty good. But secondly, it's never been changed from day one. And, so, and these are big projects. So sometimes I'm going in three, four months or more later. And you know what it's like yourself. I mean, you know, loads of people, nobody has all their project resources on day one. People join the project, people leave the project. You work with third parties, systems integrators, technical, offshore, etc. So keep your you know, communication plan up to date and relevant and challenge people. Take it away. Take it away. All right. It's time for another episode of the Cold Star Project. Started off this podcast first, I don't know, 70, 80 episodes about the unexpected challenges of scaling and then moved into space. And well, project management is a problem everywhere. I've been an operations management guy for 20 plus years and I've seen broken feedback loops and missing information and people not wanting to share and not good teamwork and all kinds of problems. No matter how technically skilled you get at some of this stuff, the feedback loops seem to still trip you up, you know. So I'm very happy to have Peter Taylor here, the author of The Lazy Project Manager, which is a book that I've been going through. And uh, I read through the first few chapters and stuff that Peter covers was uh, very specific and on things that I hadn't really thought of in the way that you present them. And so I had to reach out, connect with you and get you on and I'm glad you're here today. Ah, my pleasure. Happy to be here. All right. So let's talk about this book. Uh, it is, it's been around for a bit. You are coming out with a new one, which we're going to touch on a little bit. But uh, how did the Lazy Project Manager get started? I mean, it's kind of a weird name, right? It is quite a weird name. Um, you know, it's kind of insult your profession and get on in life as the, uh, <laughs> the kind of, it really wasn't. I had, I had no idea what it was going to be called. And, it, and you're right. It's 10 years. It's 10 years since it came out, September. So uh, it's been quite a journey. Um, Okay, yeah. I mean, how did it come about? I, I was working with a whole bunch of project managers at that time, and I was doing some behavioral analysis of how, you know, half of them were being reasonably successful and working typically averagey kind of weeks. The other half were being ridiculous in the amount of time they were working, but they were being no more successful. No worse, to be fair, but no more successful. And as a result of that, I was talking to my manager at the time, and we were talking about, you know, where we're going to go, what we're going to do in the future, and I mentioned you know, I quite like to do a little bit of writing and do a bit of speaking. He goes, and I don't, it just came out of the blue. He just said, well, you know, you are the laziest person I've ever met. And I, <laughs> and I was, I was kind of a little sad for a few minutes because, you know, this was the third company we'd worked in three times he'd employed me and he thought I was a lazy person, but I actually explained what he meant. And that kind of evolved in this idea of productive laziness. And then mm. I just thought, you know what, lazy project manager, that sounds good. I'll let's give that a go. And the rest is, as they say, history. Right on. So, yeah. You have seen a lot of projects, you've seen a lot of patterns, and there were some, some items that you noticed. For example, the, the, the projects are thick on the ends and thin in the middle, right? <laughs> yeah, Let's talk right, about yeah. that for a minute. I think that will really help people to, to conceptualize what a project could look like. Yeah, okay. I mean, I think, you know, if people think about projects typically, they think it, they kind of start small, they get much, much bigger in the middle and thick again at the far end. And I, I use a Monty Python analogy in that case. Um, some people may get the dinosaur uh, Monty Python sketch and some people won't. But the point is, I argue from a project manager's point of view, not from the project itself, but from a project manager's point of view, it should be thick at the front end. This is mm -hmm. where all the groundwork is done, where the foundations are set for project success. 
it should be thin in the middle because the project manager is working with their project team at that point um, and they shouldn't be buried under work etc but at the far end there's that magnificent opportunity to understand what went well what didn't go well what you can learn from and how to uh, how to you know avoid uh, repeating mistakes and to learn from the experience so that's my argument why projects are thick at the front end thin in the middle and thick again at the far end okay now the small sat cube sat projects that we see in academia especially and uh, and in some commercial organizations in the space area might be new to you i'm going to explain a couple of things but you will have seen these things everywhere else in manufacturing and that uh okay. they don't get a sponsor on board quite in the right way which again is something that i would have missed out on if i hadn't read your book right so in quite the way that you talk about it the scope just gets out of control. They try and do everything and make everything and, and get all this stuff packed into the project and it's overblown. They cannot possibly achieve it. And then the financial strain of it, uh, you know, everything kind of breaks. And then in the middle, they really get involved in this project uh, technical aspects, right, of problem solving and how are we going to do this and that. And the, the big problem is at the end, when they had really needed to put half the project time, a third to a half of the project schedule towards testing, they don't have it at the end. And suddenly they've got to scrunch this stuff down and that creates mission failure problems. They have a 40 plus percent mission failure rate when, when the thing gets up there. So that is a serious problem. So what can project managers learn or do to become productively lazier that might help folks in, in the space industry? Okay. I mean, one of the things, I mean, it kind of touches exactly on what you just described. The fact, you know, the main job of a project manager is not to be buried in the weeds and in the detail. I'm not saying you, you are remote from your project team or you never get involved, but I see so many project managers getting so down in the dirt and the detail that they, they don't do their job, which their job is to elevate and look and look at the future and see where the project's going and to assess that kind of burn rate that's going on and to understand the you know the the progress speed of the project so that you don't have that oh my god yeah we've used you know we've used 80 percent of the budget and 80 percent of the time and we've still got half a project to do it's it is about elevating and having that that high level view okay let's dig into the sponsorship because i think if, yeah. if this is key like if you get this right it's going to make your life so much easier so talk to us a little bit about what the weaknesses that you've seen um in project sponsorship selection and, and kind of the, I don't know, the, the slushy way that it's been done until you get some structure to it, right, that you would provide. What can people learn okay. and, and apply? So I think the first thing is, and I, and I know this upsets a lot of project managers, but they are not the most important person on the project. The project sponsor is. The project sponsor is ultimately responsible for the success or failure of the project. Now, you want a perfect partnership, absolutely. You want a great project manager with a great project sponsor. Now, there's the problem. I come from the generation of the accidental project manager. Hmm. I had no idea what I was doing and I managed to survive. We're in the age of the accidental project sponsor right now. And I'm going to give you, know, I'm going to teach you everything that you and your you know, listeners need to know about project sponsorship in three numbers. And the numbers are 85, 83 and 100. Simple. I did some research for a book on project sponsorship. And we asked a large number of companies around the world, do you have project sponsors? We had a very wide definition of what that means. 85% who are doing projects said, yes, we do. You worry about the 15%, but hey, 85%, not a bad number. Then we asked, what do you do to support, train, develop, guide, mentor your project sponsors? And 83% of the organization said, absolutely nothing. We just think because they're great guys um, that they can just do it. 
And then the killer is we asked the last question 100%, and I, no, it wasn't 100%, it was 99.5, but you know, 100 is a great number to remember. Everybody said it was really important to have a good project sponsor in order to deliver project success. And that is the state of project sponsorship right now. We're in the age of accidental project sponsors. And it's, you know, we can do two things. We can just live with wastage for the next 20 years and hope people move through the ranks who know what the hell they're talking about. Or we can actually do something. And I love working with companies who want to do something about this. Okay. Let's dig into it even more. Say you're a new project manager. Say you're in charge of a, a CubeSat project at a university. You've got a bunch of graduate students in that, and then, but you've got to go up to the higher ups and get funding resources, right? That kind of thing. What, what, how should you go about this? I think you need to build a relationship with your sponsor. And I, I recommend three things to people. So, you know, when, you know, when you meet your sponsor for the very first time, understand them, you know, know as much as you can about them, you know, get, you know, find out about them. And it doesn't mean, you know, hire a private detective to get, you know, embarrassing photos that you can use to blackmail them in the future. It means they must have worked on other projects, hopefully in the past. So go and talk to that project manager and find out what their communication style is, find out what their needs are, find out what their experience is. So now you know what you're dealing with. And then you need to find out what their communication styles are like. What do they expect from you? You know, are they a quick bullet point update or are they sit in my office at three o'clock on a Friday for four hours? You know, what kind of person are they? And then finally, the third thing is, you know, when you talk to them about the project, um, you have very open questions. Don't talk about deadlines and budgets and stuff like that to start with. Talk about hopes and fears, open questions. You know, what do you hope this project will deliver? And what are your worries? Because then you're going to really be able to gauge, are they bought into this? Do they believe in it? Are they committed to this or are they just sitting on the periphery of it? In which case, you then have to do a whole series of uh, uh, kind of tactical uh, activities, which is kind of what the book is all about, mm -hmm. is how do you deal with the various types of sponsors, the ones who are involved, the ones that aren't involved, the ones that micromanage, the ones that just don't want to have anything to do with the project. There's a whole bunch out there. But it is, you know, the more you know about your sponsors, the better you can deal with them. Okay. And you talk about reporting in the book. Uh, you talk mm -hmm. about like... It, Folks will go and write up huge in-depth in reports and, and no one will ever read them. And it's kind of yeah. like, on the one hand, it's great that all that stuff's being documented. Uh, yeah. But on the other hand, nobody's reading it. So again, this communication style is so important, right? These preferences. Yeah, I mean, I, I love, you know, one of my favorite moments when I do is like, you know, keynote presentations is, you know, I will say that reporting is not communicating. Mm. And you get the looks from the audience going, what, what are you on about? I mean, that's, that's the heart of my communicating. Well, you're wasting <laughs> your time. Because you're, I mean, these days we have such brilliant tools and you can produce all these, you know, 16 page report, mm. every piece of data in it, beautifully formatted, graphs, diagrams, graphics, fonts. Oh, it's beautiful. And the fact you email it to everybody plus their best friend actually means you have report, you have communicated to probably nobody because it's too much. Mm. It's right information at the right time to the right person in the right way. I mean, you have to get all of those four right. Otherwise you will fail. Hmm. Okay. So what are some questions that folks could ask themselves to make sure that they are getting those four questions right? Yeah, I think the first thing is, and I'd say this so much, I, I do a lot of work with uh, organizations where I go and look at some of the big projects, you know, towards the end of the, the planning cycle, et cetera. And I, and I see two things, typically. One is there is a communications plan, and it's usually pretty good. But secondly, it's never been changed from day one, and, so, and these are big projects. So sometimes I'm going in three, four months or more later. And you know what it's like yourself. I mean, you know, loads of people, nobody has all their project resources on day one. People join the project, people leave the project. You work with third party systems, integrators, technical, offshore, etc. So 
keep your you know, communication plan up to date and relevant and challenge people. You know, I joked about the sponsor who wants a, you know, a four hour meeting on a Friday. Hey, maybe that's relevant to start with, but you know, adapt your, your reporting and communication so that it is appropriate for someone and, and you know, vary it according to need. Okay. I can remember another story of the book, like a couple actually, which can define it. This is why stories are so great. Um, one where you went out of the room and loudly fired yourself. And then another story where, uh, oh geez, well, let's cover that one first. What happened there? What were you, what were you? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, each, each chapter of the book has a story where I, I basically completely screw things up, but I learned an important lesson and that's what I'm trying to share. And, and that's one of the reasons people like the book is, you know, it's full of honesty mm -hmm. as opposed to a, you know, a book of absolute perfection right. uh, of, of behavior and performance. So this particular situation, the project was going really badly. It was the worst project I ever managed. Uh, there are a lot of reasons behind that, but we reached a point where the only thing that we were doing was burning time and burning money. And everybody hated everybody else. So what actually happened was, eventually, after trying several things, I took uh, my core team off-site. We went to a local hotel. We booked a meeting room. I brought in a facilitator in the morning to help us re-energize and blue sky think and brainstorm and all those good things. Uh, and the lady left uh, lunchtime, and everybody mm. still hated everybody. And I was desperate. I, and I honestly had no idea what I was going to do. Uh, and that moment, as we went back in the room for the afternoon session, I, I did the mm. thing. I stood up and said, I'm going to solve all the problems on this project right now. And I walked out, closed the door, pretended to be my manager firing me in a loud voice, gave it a minute or two, walked back in the room. And most people got the joke. A few people looked disappointed I was still employed, but <laughs> most people got the joke. And, and, and really, it just broke the ice. And, and, I, and I'm a great advocate of, a, of fun on projects. And I do a lot of, lot of um, uh, speaking these days. In fact, I, you know, I, I even do a kind of stand-up comedy project management routine these days hmm. after dinner events. The power of the appropriate humor and fun in a project is incredibly, well, any team is incredibly powerful. And so I, yeah, out of that desperate moment, I, I pulled something out of the hat and it, and it hmm. kind of makes me smile even today. <laughs> Right. Well, very good. Very good. Hey, this is Jason Canigan, the host of the Cold Star Project and the founder of Cold Star Technologies. I've decided to do something new. I've started doing daily update videos on who I met and what I learned the previous day in the space field. And it's a great sort of follow me thing. You can learn what I learn. I'm meeting a heck of a lot of people and learning a lot of things really fast. And the space field is really disparate. There are tons of nooks and crannies to go into and explore from legal, operational, you know, regulatory, compliance, and gosh, the end customer. Who would have thought about that, right? So you can sign up for this. If you go to coldstartech.com slash MSB, that's short for Make Space Boring, the mission we're on, then you can sign up and in your email you will get a daily notification that the new video has been posted. I'm also thinking about doing some branded mini courses and summarizing papers as uh, I'm able to. So those will be some goodies that are in there as well. So if you're interested in that, go to coldstartech.com MSB and join us on the mission to make space boring. Now back to the interview. Now, the second story that I remember was you had taken over a project partway through, and I think this will be instructive for, for our listeners and viewers. And uh, it didn't work out well, and in a few weeks, you know, the project was passed along to somebody else. Yeah, uh, yeah. What, what happened there and what would you do differently? Uh, because like, like, let, let's, I'm, I'm trying to address the, uh, what happens when you get a new project dumped on your lap that's been yeah. going on for a while. It's new to you, but it's been existing. What do you have to do? Because you yeah. miscommunicated in that story. And I love that you shared that because <laughs> we've all goofed up like that. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, in, you know, the essence of that story was I did take the project over. I could assess it was definitely not going to be delivered on time. There were many reasons, most of which were the client's responsibility. Mm-hmm. I built a nice journey to present back to them, and I and I I entrusted the information with a, a team member who, rather than allow me to take the client on a nice, safe journey uh, to reach a happy conclusion, he just blurted out over at the coffee machine to the guy mm-hmm. before I could come back and have that meeting. And so, you know, that was my project long gone. Um, it, what, you know, it is about, I think, you know, it is about engaging everybody and getting involved yeah. everybody in everybody in appropriate communication. I mean, it should never have got into that situation to start with. Yeah. So one, there was bad communication to begin with and bad control. Bad control. Secondly, I, I took a little bit of a relaxed approach to this. I was feeling, what, what I was feeling competent about was I know the answer and I know when this project is going to be delivered. And actually it was delivered exactly when I said it would be by mm. the third project manager, not me. Um, <laughs> My mistake was was not shutting that down there and then in saying, right, we need the meeting now. I I, mm. I I was juggling projects, I went off site, I came back on site, by which time I was willing to be screwed. And not out of malice, the guy was just trying to do the right thing and just yeah, share the information. So, you know, communication is, is something that needs to be managed. Project managers spend 70, 80, 90 percent of their time communicating. Mm. And it's not it's the fact that you want control, it's you just need to manage it. And, and you need to bring your team into it as well. And, and I didn't do that. And, uh, you know, I was, I was lazy in the wrong way at that point. And, and I paid the price. That's the only right. project I've ever been thrown off. <laughs> well, very valuable learning experience. And thank oh, you yeah. for going through it to teach the rest of us. <laughs> so what does Peter Taylor do beyond project management? What, what kind of things do you enjoy? Oh, well, I do. Yeah, it's all associated in many ways to project management. And I write, you know, and, you know, what gives me pleasure, I mean, apart from my family, of course, um, is I love to write about project management or business and change or anything like that. So, yeah, we're up to about nine. Well, I've just finished the 19th book now. Mm. Um, and and I love to travel and talk. And I, you know, I love doing, you know, keynotes and, and inspiration sessions, motivational sessions around the world. Um, and it's and you know the latest project manager has allowed me to do that. So, all of that together just just you know gives me quite a nice balancing what I do. You know, I, you know, occasionally I work full time for companies. Occasionally I consult part time, and I constantly speak. And hmm. I know it's nice. And the rest of the time I'm at home with the uh, with my good lady and our nine children. So we uh, we oh. uh, we have a good time. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, we have we have a bo- we have a whole bunch between us. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's kind of kind of crazy when we get together at the uh, festive period. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you got a new book coming out with a, another oh, yeah. funny name. <laughs> let's talk about <laughs> well, that for a minute. Yeah, let's talk about that. So ten years ago, Lazy Project Manager came out, and, I, and it was pretty pretty radical at the time. Mm-hmm. As I said, every book was pretty serious at that point. Um, and I was, um, I, I, I met uh, a lady who, is, who ended up being the co-author, uh, a lady called Susie Palmatrue. And I met her actually, although she's from England, I met her in Athens at a conference. And she is just, she's young, she's energetic, she's challenging. She does not take anything, uh, you know, she won't let you get away with anything. And she's from the north of England and she's very blunt and, um, you know, a little bit potty mouthed occasionally when she talks. But I loved her, her I loved her spirit. And, I, and she made some comment about project management. And I said, that's a brilliant title for a book. Hmm. And she goes, well, get us a publishing deal and I'll write it with you. And what she actually said was, is, you know, project management is bollocks. I mean, hmm. it's, you know, it's, it's bollocks, it's bullshit. It's what's grown up around project management is in a sense, it's, it's just got so complicated. There's just hmm. so much. And there's a lot of worthiness in everything that's out there. But we're just saying, you know what, if you're a project manager, or probably if you're not a full-time project manager, if you're someone that does projects as usual, the stuff that you do as a, you're doing a day-to-day job, 
you cannot be buried under body of knowledges or vast levels of certification or anything like that. You just need to know the basics. And that's what we try to do with this book is say, okay, let's cut all the, all the rubbish, all the crap out around it. What are the, what we think are the seven core principles of delivering a project or delivering a change. That's what you know. And we just, you know, we've just broken the book down to that level. And I hope, I mean, for me, this is, this could be one of my last books for her. I hope it's the start of many books because, you know, she is the future. And, and as I, uh, as I say, as I joke in the book that, you know, she's, she's the lady that's stopping me being the, uh, you know, the boring old fart of project management. She's challenging me and keeping me young. And I'm very excited about the book. So it's big. It's got a great big pink cover. It comes out in January and I'm, I'm excited to see what it does. Okay. And so this is going to be about simplifying the, the ideas of project management. Yeah, going to the heart of it. it yeah. Well, we, we talked about, you know, seven, seven cracking ideas or seven key things you should be thinking about when you're managing projects. And yeah, you can wrap everything else around it if you want, but get these things right. And you've got a great chance of dealing with the, in the current world, it is kind of challenging as far as change is concerned. Um, so yeah, that's what's, you know, again, like lazy project manager, humorous, engaging, simple, simplified towards the end, very, very similar kind of format in some ways. Um, and, you know, something that people can reference, really reference and, and, you know, hopefully gain benefit from. Right. Well, I look forward so, to that when it comes out <laughs> in, uh, in a month or two. Yeah. Yeah. January 20, yeah. January, 2020. 2020. Yeah. Okay. Let's wrap up with a question about the future of project management. Our AI machine learning data science, big part of what we do here at cold star. Um, okay. And they're trying to mash that into project management. Tell us a little bit about what you think that that is going to look like. I mean, look what it looks like. It's going to be hard. I just think it's going to work. I think something is going to happen. I mean, project managers, you know, we, we, we exhaust, we've existed with a whole bunch of enterprise and, and non-enterprise level tools. And, we, you know, we work across typical companies that have all these various data uh, sources, et cetera. But the reality is we did it with people. And so the best way I can describe it is I think what's going to come from kind of AI uh, support for project managers. I don't believe project managers are going to disappear. Mm -hmm. But I think um, the AI is a little bit like when you're kind of driving these days. You know, you can, let's face it, these days we can, we can drive in automatic cars. We don't have to worry about changing gear. I mean, that's very common in North America and it's increasingly common in Europe. Um, but more than that, you know, when I go somewhere new, I don't have to worry about navigating these days. You know, I, my phone will guide me, you know, mm -hmm. whether you're using Waze or Simla or Google Maps or something like that. It, it takes the burden of the detail. It's looking ahead for you and saying, don't go this way. This is a better way. There's traffic problems over there. There's an accident over there. So all of that is stripped out, allowing me to do the thing I'm supposed to be doing, which is driving safely and get into my destination. And I, and I, the best I can consider the future of project management in, in this new world is, is along those lines. The fact that project managers will be able to focus on what's really important about managing their projects and managing themselves whilst delivering that change and a lot of the tedious stuff a lot of the calculations and reporting etc mm -hmm. the emotions will be taken out of it the subjectivity will be taken out of it um and they will allow to they can do the job they're supposed to be doing hmm. so some improvements to a critical path calculation maybe and uh, yeah all that, yes hmm. all that kind of predictive stuff hmm. will take place and you know the, you know that you know, i said about having that guy, a high level view you mm -hmm. know that will that will support project managers going well look you know and i think the big thing is it's not just the project that you're delivering because we know project you know we live in the yeah we all talk about the vuca world the world of volatility uncertainty complexity and ambiguity so you know it's not about my project. It's about my project mm. on top of the other 99 projects or the 999 mm. projects. So again, that kind of connective intelligence 
says, I'm going to take care of all this, this kind of overlay and integration, interrelationship that's taking place inside the organization um, for you. And I'm going right. to warn you, I'm going to, you know, the stuff that a project manager just really can't do. Mm-hmm. Even today, you know, I speak to project managers and they, they can walk into a meeting or they can stand by the coffee machine and suddenly discover there is something significant happening in the organization that truly impacts the projects they're trying to lead. So I think that's, that's my gut instinct to where it's going to go. I, I'm quite excited right. about it. I think it's a, an exciting evolution in project management. Right. I, I really like, yeah, all the data collected in and then maybe the unsupervised learning part of, of machine learning mm-hmm. where it tells yeah. you something that you weren't exactly looking for, but with all the combined data of all these projects running, it, it can tell you, okay, there's this traffic jam over here that you didn't, know about right yeah. i think that kind of thing is really going to be great yep yeah, okay where can people get a hold of you if they're like hey i like this peter taylor guy and i want to <laughs> hire him to help us uh, well, where should they go what should they do obviously they should, they should get the lazy project manager and look for a project management is bollocks <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah absolutely no i mean the best place to go we can find all the information is the website which is the, the lazy project manager.com so it's just the lazy project manager.com and of course i'm on linkedin yeah i love people to connect to me on linkedin and um, yeah I'm, I'm on there on a daily hourly basis so uh, yeah reach out to me that way Okay, fantastic. Thanks for being my guest today. Uh, It's been my pleasure. Thanks and be lazy. Uh